Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have a first. We have two return guests simultaneously coming in, Randy Cass of Nest Wealth and David Faulkner of Razor Plan. Why are they coming back? Well, it just so happens these companies got hitched and merged not that long ago. So I thought it would be very interesting to bring them back and have a discussion as to why that merger happened and what their outlook in the future is. And with that, here's my interview with Randy and David. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in today. It's our pleasure. It's great to be back. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So I've had people back on the show before, but you are the first ones getting back after getting hitched. So uh, for those of you who missed the news earlier, Nest Wealth and Razor Plan, both previous guests of the show, did merge. So we were, or were, one was acquired by the other. We'll get into that in a second. So before we get into that, let's talk about the quick elevator pitch for both of them individually, and then talk about the story that brought you together. So Randy. Sure. So Nest Wealth launched uh, probably about four or five years ago now as a direct consumer at the time, what was called a robo-advisor. Familiar term now, back then it was, it was more of a mystical kind of unicorn type of thing. And as we've evolved, we, we kind of are a company that provides a, a platform that gives digital solutions to both the advisors and the enterprises that use our, our technology. So really we're a digital wealth platform and a lot of the big banks and large financial institutions uh, across the country use us to power their digital wealth initiatives. Excellent. And Dave? Razor Plan uh, started about the same time, about four or five years ago. Our goal was to make financial planning quicker, faster, easier without sacrificing the quality of the calculations. Since then, we've grown, added more functionality, more features. So now it's way more comprehensive mm -hmm. than it was originally. And we're still designing for simplicity of the interface and the ease of use, but again, just adding features. So Razor Plan probably is the largest provider of software to independent financial planners in Canada when we take a look at all, all the players. Yeah, yeah, thousands, thousands of advisors yeah. are using the platform currently. Excellent. Excellent. So what brought you guys together? You know what? It was one of these things that just seemed destined to inevitably happen. I was speaking at an event one day and Dave was there and he uh, kind of grabbed me uh, after uh, my presentation and I obviously knew Razor the company. I had heard great things about their product and their platform and he started suggesting that there might be opportunities that could exist in, in us two looking at the same markets and looking at the same audiences and trying to figure out solutions that would benefit advisors and inevitably their end clients and recognizing that we at Nest Wealth had already begun to kind of form an opinion that, that digital wealth in the first few years for enterprise and advisors was really about making them more efficient and going forward was really going to be about adding value through digital technology and doing things that maybe individuals couldn't do on their own. Um, we're already thinking about where we wanted to go in that path and, and running into Dave and having him start the conversation was just one of those serendipitous moments where it was like, all right, well, maybe it's this logical combination of financial planning for advisors with the actual running of the investment assets and how the two different traditionally siloed pieces of a business might be able to speak to each other and interact with each other and utilize data from each other. And so from there, we entered kind of a multi-month conversation about what tying up might look. Originally, it was, were we interested in the minority stake? And then 
we came back and said not not necessarily but we'd be interested in maybe merging the two companies together and over a period of month we, months we ended up with with the deal that made a ton of sense for both sides oh. and really was bringing the Razor family into Nest Wealth and utilizing their expertise and their knowledge. And there's no one in this country that knows more about financial planning and the software that powers it than Dave. And so bringing that whole team together was just really one of those unbelievable moments of success for our company. Fantastic. And from your standpoint, anything to add? Well, as I've been in this business for 42 years, so I still Since practice. he was five. Yeah. I was five. <laughs> yeah. I still have a limited practice. Even working with Nest Wealth, I'm still able to maintain my practice. So I always had this vision. I've had it for a number of years. I think I talked to you about it, that I want to start with a financial plan and I can determine everything that needs to be done. And I just want easy buttons. I want the software, the analysis to talk to all the other components. Mm -hmm. I want to say the system recommends $750 a month into your RSP. Do you agree? Yes. Click a button. It's done. And mm -hmm. so I, <laughs> I envision this platform and yeah. we didn't have the skill, the expertise or any desire to build what Randy had built. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at all the players. I chose Randy. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and it's it's really an awesome opportunity on both sides of the, of the marketplace because, well, Razor Plan as a whole was a seven, eight person company out in Alberta. They had still managed to capture one of the big six banks in Canada as mm. a client and a client who had existed for many, many years and still does. They had had their contracts renewed. So they had demonstrated that their financial planning software was actually enterprise ready. It was mm. being used at one of the toughest institutions in the country to yeah. get software. Try into. selling into a Canadian bank. It's, yeah, it, uh, it, it, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. It's almost miraculous that they were able to kind of make this happen. With that size of a team, I would say that is no, that is worthy of commendation. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I looked at it and I said, but being a seven or eight person company probably means that that might not continue to happen with other enterprises. So they had this unbelievably easy to use, incredible kind of uh, simplistic process to get these unbelievable comprehensive complex financial plans out of the 10 or 15 minutes that an advisor was willing to spend up front with it and it was just dynamite for enterprises but because they had such a small remote operation they were probably unable to tap that market and here we were in more enterprises with digital wealth than any other company in North America when it comes mm -hmm. to actually putting in digital wealth platforms that are gathering assets and rolling out so the natural inclination to say, well, let's take that and move it into some of the markets that we have and let's take our products, Nest Wealth Plus, mm -hmm. and move it into the thousands of advisors that you have just seemed like a yeah. real good opportunity for no, both. It's a great cross opportunity for both of you. It's interesting. I look at you guys as kind of being a manifestation of two trends, one that's already taking place very much so in the US and one that's not, and one that's starting to or going to take place more in Canada as well. So I would say that we've seen this kind of pairing or this kind of cross segmentation pairing happening because we've had Money Guide Pro bought by Investnet, eMoney bought by Fidelity and advisor by Orion. And that's all within the last two and a half years, right? And again, similar to what you're talking about. It's let's take, there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of, a lot of ways we're servicing advisors in two different silos, but if we combine that knowledge and that data, the sky's the limit for how much further and how much how much cleaner we can make this and get closer and closer to David's, David's vision of the, you know, oh, the plan's, the plan's done, looks good, push the button, execute, done. It's all happening for you. So uh, good, good on you. I think you guys are, 
probably the first one I've seen this country on that. So good on you for being ahead of the curve. I also think that we're going to start to see consolidation in a lot of these, a lot of these fintech plays, right? The market's only so big and it's easier to sell the same company to value propositions, two products, once you're already into one of them, that yeah. is to basically go at it independently, especially if you have a tight integration built between them. Yeah. And look, I think what we have each independently referred to in the first 10 minutes of this, of this podcast is what we call living financial plan, right? Most financial plans, even generated by a great solution like Razor, unfortunately will get printed thrown into a desk somewhere, maybe checked annually, maybe they come back in and yeah. the advisor updates it. But the vision of being able to integrate that with the accounts in real time, the asset levels, adjustments in the plan and that need to be made so they can be reflective of where the assets are being held and the risk profiles and back and forth. That does begin to get very close to Dave's vision of give me something that gives me a simple button. And for advisors, the vision of Nest Wealth right now as a holistic organization is we want to make sure that the right advice gets to the right person at the right time. Mm -hmm. And the right person is every Canadian that has a, a vested interest in their financial outcome. And to be able to think of a future where, look, you might not know everything you need to know about decumulation or the tax code or succession planning or estates or how you invest this next dollar. But if you have a platform that has a holistic financial plan, the actual assets and the accounts where they're being held and a decumulation plan all built on the same platform, then you don't need to know everything to tell someone what the best thing they can do at that moment in time is. Mm -hmm. And if the platform is now alerting the advisors that because of this, you now need to reach out to your client and suggest that they do this, it allows everybody, regardless of which advisor, which office, which firm, which location they walk into, to be guaranteed that they're going to be in a position to maximize whatever their wealth is at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think when you look at the financial planning world and services regarding that, you've seen there's three big areas of time that are spent by an advisor. There's the accumulation of data or data acquisition portion. There's the actual physical planning portion. And this is the implementation. And I always tell people, look, without implementation of financial plans, it's just expensive toilet paper. It's not really there for anything. And David, you clearly have focused very much on the middle piece, which is making that plan not a six-hour plan to produce, but hopefully a one-hour plan with the same level of caliber and quality. In the U.S., we've seen greater plays towards data aggregation through e-money, and basically they all have data aggregation now. So that has truncated that piece. But the implementation part has never really been addressed uh, right. to my knowledge. And that's really what we're talking about here. It's exactly taking, what we're talking yeah. about, right? Yeah. And it goes one step further even because the only way financial planning can possibly scale to cover the vast majority of Canadians, all of who would be better off with the financial plan than without it, mm -hmm. is if the implementation process can scale as well, right? Absolutely. So if I know that every year you're going to want to take your tax refund and move it into an investment account, or if I know every year that basic things, you're going to want to move $550 or $5,500 from a non-reg to a TFSA, mm -hmm. or whatever it is, right? Those are very simplistic yep. examples of, of advice that can be generated. And then as soon as, as an advisor, I get consent from the client that that is what I want to do, I can press Dave's easy button, and for the rest of life, until it gets changed back, Yep. That trade is queued up. I don't have to worry about it. It's yep. in the calendar. It's moved into the engine part, which would be the Nest Wealth accounts, wherever they may be held at the enterprise. Yep. That's the way financial planning scales. It's the only way financial planning scales is to yeah. automate the, the implementation part. Well, it's interesting. You're kind of hitting upon, I'm not sure when this is going to air because I'm, I'm speaking at a conference in uh, next week. 
And part of it is really to shake up the people in the room, say, this is FinTech, where we came from, where we are today. This is this thing called the fourth industrial revolution. And I don't know where it's going to take us, but I know it's going to be away from a couple of things. And it's basically all the stuff we think we get paid for now, which is really heavy lifting, the preparing of plans, the paperwork, the implementation, all of that. That stuff is far better handled by the likes of what you guys are building for sure. than any human being. Quality assurance far higher than anything we're going we're to be able to do as human beings. And all this stuff that all the data that is out there showing where advisors add value all comes in the human interaction piece, right? So I look at it as saying, you guys are taking away, and one of the messages behind that, that entire speech is going to be, stop thinking this stuff is why they're paying you, right? And realize that this stuff will be done by technology far better than you ever could have. Focus on how you're going to live in that world where the only real, the real value you provide is in the financial counseling. It's in the implementation on the human side. It's taking the robotic output that comes out of this thing and actually explain to them in simple terms what that means to their lives. So critical, so important. We did a bit of market research up at the firm. We're working on, I'll give two examples here that speak exactly to that. Uh, decumulation, right? Which yep. we think is a massive opportunity within the country, something everybody needs to think about. And something that Bill Sharp refers to as the single hardest problem in finance. So, Absolutely. And, and you, know. you as an advisor, you know we've talked about this we've off talked podcast. About it several times, and, yeah. and one of the things you've always said is, is I have my way of doing it. Everybody has their own way of doing it. If you come out with a static system that says, this is the way we're going to do it, yep. 99 out of 100 advisors are going to look at you and say, yeah, that's kind of absurd. Uh, that's not the way I do it. My way is better. But if you use technology to come out with a system that goes through thousands and thousands and thousands of I iterations and then says, look, based on the variables you've given us, this is the way you maximize wealth or reduce the risk of any wealth being deteriorated or destroyed. All of a sudden, it becomes really hard for an advisor to say, yeah, but my way is still better than that, right? Exactly. So that's how technology does exactly what you said. It goes a bit beyond what an advisor could do without technology, because really when you come up with a plan, it's just a lot of heavy lifting and checking scenarios and the rest of it. But when we market research this and had people in and then said, all right, push the button, enter your variables, here's your decumulation plan, look, it extended your wealth by $220,000, yep. isn't that great? And then we said, would you do this? They all said, individuals all said, no. Not a chance. And we couldn't understand it. And they lacked the confidence that they had entered the data properly. They lacked wow. the confidence that they understood the process, that the output was something they could implement themselves. When we sat an advisor in the room yeah. and had the advisor walk them through the process, had an advisor hand them the exact same solution, have an advisor explain yeah. it to them, every single one of them said, yes, let's do yeah. that right now. There will be a time when everybody's confident in their car, take them anywhere. That time is not now. No. Right? It's going to take a long time to get there. And even then, like we're talking about something so much more complicated than that. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because I had this conversation on a forum the other day and it was someone specifically saying, you know, does anyone have any kind of software or any software that's going to optimize for Canada Pension Plan? Because I see all these things about Social Security and in, a, in the U.S. And I said, look, they're two different beasts. And secondly, like, let's talk about what optimization in decumulation means. I'll just use a very simplified example. Canada Pension Plan, Old Age Security, RIF start dates. And David, you and I had this conversation last time. And I basically spelled it out for him. I said, think about the number of start dates you have from 60 to 72 for all three of those. There's 10 for one, five for another, and 12 for, for another. That's 600 variables. That's 600 different scenarios you got to test. You can do more if you break it down to the month. To the month, exactly. <laughs> if you go to the month, right? So now we're multiplying that by 12, right? So now we're up to 7, 000, 70, 72,000 uh, variables, right? Something like that. So the point is, is that 
Like, I'm sorry, looking at maximizing CPP is only one small piece of the formula, and none of us are ever going to manually do that. And I always love the entire, well, I've got my way of doing it. That's nice, but when's the last time we te you tested that against sure. every other scenario that's available, right? And that's what excites me so much about what guys like you are doing is that we're going to be able to do that at the push of the easy button. Yeah, and beyond that, I used to be absolutely convinced four or five years ago that margin compression was inevitable within this industry. I am not so convinced anymore because I think as technology allows the value of solutions that advisors provide to their clients to grow, like let's face it, if we can extend someone's average wealth during decumulation by some six-figure amount, yep. and you're able to show that in black and white, look, without me, there was a risk, it went this, rule of thumb is this, and with yep. me, it's this. The sophistication and value of the solutions that advisors are going to yep. be able to provide with technology is so far beyond what they would have been able to do without it that I'm not sure that anyone who gets handed a piece of paper that says, I just added six figures to your wealth is going to then say, you're not worth what I paid. So I'll say that you're right. I agree and disagree at the same time. Anything that's commoditizable is absolutely going to see that compression, right? Which is why we're seeing compression across the board in mutual funds, in ETFs, in anything that basically people can't differentiate between or differentiation is moot at this point, right? We're to the point where there's even a company paying you to buy their ETFs at this point, which let's not even get into that. I agree with you that an advisor who basically demonstrates value, whether through technology or through the counseling and all the other stuff that we do, I think those services are going to become more specialized, more niche, more more interpersonal. And I think that sort of thing is, yes, I don't think the compression happens there. I agree. It's the advisor who thought their job was to pick a mutual fund and then walk away and never call you that they can see their 1% shrunk down to nothing. Yeah, or, but it always should have been that. We can agree to that fully. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, David, tell me about from your perspective. Randy's not the guy who builds things because you're the guy who codes things, right? Randy helps. Randy basically oversees the building and, uh, and helps <laughs> you with that. Well, you well, made me sound like I do nothing. Well, yeah, uh, so, it's no, 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 totally no, 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 fine. That's not true. That's that's not true. No, but I can play eight or nine instruments in the orchestra. There you go. But I can only play one at a time, but he can conduct it. Well, orchestra. this is the difference, right? This I is can't. here's the thing. And I've had this it's funny. When I have conversations with people in fintech companies, the engineers, if they think you can code when they meet you, they're super excited. Like it's just like, oh, you're one of us, right? The guys who who basically make sure they're, they're, the, the trains run on time and conduct the orchestra. That's more me, and we get along fine, but it's a different level of conversation, right? Totally. And it's, 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 it's very different worlds. And both are absolutely joined at the hip necessary. So from your standpoint, tell me about the easy buttons you want to build, what excites you about what it is that you get to build now that we haven't talked about yet or that you haven't you well, were basically prevented oh, from doing. Okay. So there are a lot of, ignore iteration, and I understand there's rules of thumbs in the way we do things, but there are a number of strategies, as you know, that are better than other strategies. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if I want to demonstrate in most software, contributing to an RSP, taking the tax savings and paying down the mortgage, once the mortgage is paid off, allocating 60% of my mortgage payment back to my RSP or, or vice mm -hmm. versa, there are a number of multiple data entry points you have to do as an advisor. Absolutely. You have to know it. So to create sort of an easy button, around advisor intelligence that implements that strategy and then does all the moving parts for you mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about. So being able to create a financial plan, then heuristically and through different algorithms, look at the data, look at the outcome, look at the goals, and then flag a number of items that will have huge impact on the future 
of that financial plan and then being able to allow the advisor to look at each one of them and say, this is appropriate and this is appropriate and get the client buy-in. So mm -hmm. this is what we'll do. We'll do this and we'll do this. And if you do it, this is the outcome at the, at and, the end. And that buy-in piece is, is so valuable, not just from the standpoint of, of course, they got to agree to it, but there's certain things that the technology is never going to capture. Human sentiment, human comfort levels, right? Those sort of things, you know, hey, this is the single smartest thing you can do is downsize your house to something this size because you don't need all that. Yeah, good luck with that conversation. Or, or how about the RSP conversation where my father told me that RSPs are a bad deal because at the end of the day, you got to pay tax on it. And yeah. you do all, like I can try and mathematically argue with the client or I could say, okay, for you, Let's max out your TFSAs because it'll work better. Yeah. And it will because yeah. of the attitude of that person. And it's funny. We, we, we are a unique industry in that the advice from those who actually have proven it is in competition with the advice from their parents, their friends, the media, and everything tends to be rules of thumb, heuristics, or things they've heard before without proof. It's a battle we only win by being able to say, look, I don't understand you think that, but let me show you both scenarios. The and one conversation I no longer have with friends, families, or acquaintances is CPP start date because I have friends, I have acquaintances, I have family. They all say, when should I start my CPP? I talk to them and well, I already started mine. I'm still working. I make money. Do you need the money? No, but I want it. And so it's just the Canadian attitude is CPP happens at age 60, whether I need it or not. Forget about longevity risk. For, forget about everything else. But the and advice, to be fair, those conversations. But to be fair, the advice was that for years, right? Uh, it was take it, it as early as possible. The, the penalties for taking it early weren't as bad. The benefits for taking it later weren't as good. Weren't as good. And longevity wasn't as long, right? So I mean, Correct. I think back 20 years ago and we you do the math, it was like, hey, 60 makes sense. And now more and more, it's pushing towards 70. But again, as always, as is my kind of rule around everything, every question I get in financial planning is, it depends, right? And until we test these scenarios, yes, we can't say for sure. Facts. There's exactly. health. There's all kinds of things that yeah. go into the other assets involved. You know, yeah. So <laughs> you no longer have your, your your again. I think I just usually basically end the conversation by saying it depends. You need to tell me all this other stuff, and they're just like, what? Why? This is one small thing. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's interacting with everything else. So, I mean, I think through, as you were talking about the ability to flow that all, all out, I mean, you guys have a unique value proposition in there too, in that imagine I look at the world where I can be a planning centric, planning focused financial planner, produce the financial plan, client hits consent, hits the easy button for consent. And I've already captured KYC data at the beginning of it, even though I never opened an account. And now essentially those documents get filled out. It's e-signature to get done. The bank account's already linked. It's an exciting world we're moving into and I'm glad guys like you are building it. So yeah. keep, keep doing it because you know, not, so not just you, but others are gonna have to follow. So let's, let's talk about, you got, I'd say two major pieces of the puzzle. If you basically could, let's say you had the, the, the war chest to buy out other areas of the financial planning world, where do you think you would want to move into? Like what areas do you think you would need to get into as well? So look, I think there are three major areas when advice can make a substantial difference in someone's life. I think it's when you are planning, when you're actually doing the saving, and when you're doing the spending, mm -hmm. right? And so it touches on what we talked about before. It's, we are, I'm going to save, all right, how are you going to save, what's your asset mix going to be, where are you going to do it, what are the types of accounts, how are you going to mm -hmm. rebalance? That's nest wealth from day one. That's, mm -hmm. that's where we are buying. Razor and bringing that under the Nest Wealth umbrella and the expertise there was how am I going to plan? What's the plan going to be? How am I going to hit my goals? What are we going to do at the end of the day? Tell me how to reach what I want to reach and maximize the rest of it. And the third one is how am I going to spend? 
And that's the accumulation stuff we mm -hmm. talked about. So the very first area from a technology point of view that we would go into would be that third bucket, right? And mm -hmm. that's, that's something that we've been working on internally and looking at external partners that we think we kind of have figured out now and should be bringing to market in the next month or two. And okay. that is that is that decumulation. Oh, Randy, you have not given me a preview, my friend, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that is that decumulation <laughs> optimization stuff. Yeah. Once we have those three, then it is what we call advisor intelligence, AI for short, not to be mixed with artificial intelligence, but it really is working with some of the best financial planners and Dave, who is in that group, as well as others across the country, and saying, give me the 80-20 rule. What are the 80, what are the 10 or 15 rules of thumb that are most prevalent that mm -hmm. you do for 80% of your clients? And then building the scenarios that lead to those within the platform. So if you see this plus this, then suggest this. And if it's this plus this plus this, then suggest this. And spreading that out, because one of the biggest problems that we hear from a lot of our partners, and these are some of the largest banks that exist in the country and some mm -hmm. of the largest brokerage firms, is that it is very particular to the office you walk into, the level of expertise that exists in different scenarios and the level of advice that you well, might get. Well, I would say that two things there, A, part of it's due to the level of education they require for the people in those scenarios, so they can work, get to work on that. And secondly, it's the lack of standardization around practices, which is also a big concern. Absolutely. Right? Standardization. So, yeah. You're not going to educate the workforce overnight. No. And you're not going to standardize the advice that they are going to give individually yeah. overnight. But if you have them on a platform that gives the yeah. most common advice in the best situation, then you've solved both those problems. Yeah. I actually know of an, of an audit that was done on various branches all within the same city. And they pulled every financial plan done over the last couple of years and went over all of them looking for consistencies, errors, what was being done. And it was a horror show. I would imagine. It was an abject horror show. And you think about the poor people who got that advice, right? That they thought that they were basically looking towards went to someone that they thought knew what they were doing and got led the wrong direction. It's horrific, right? So I look at it from the standpoint twofold. I mean, first of all, these people are my competition in my in my, in my day job. So their bar being down and being low and for benefits me, but I would rather see it raised across the board to help more Canadians. But I also know, like as you said, the education is not going to improve overnight. That's going to take time. They also have to commit to that. And it's also going to mean a lot of churn to get the right people in there. But also the faster solution to implement is the technology that they can basically put the guardrails on. And I know several banks have undertaken that entire process already where they've kind of put guardrails on their software and prevented the most common errors from happening while leaving some ability to modify. So I think that is, when you're looking at a mass market deployment, what you guys are building is something that's going to be very vital to that sort of thing, right? Because sure. then it just, again, the efficiencies, but also the prevention of errors and the assurance that what's not only is the plan right, the execution's right, and there's a feedback loop that goes into all of that. And it's similar to what we've seen in the investment area as well, because a lot of large institutions, even on full discretionary advisors that they might have under their umbrella, are reducing the shelf available mm -hmm. so that they know that the products that are being offered for the certain types of risk profiles are the ones that they feel most comfortable with. No, part of that's being forced on by regulation, which rightly so should have existed, which is if you're going to sell something, you need to have a base level knowledge of what it is. Right. Yeah. And it's the same. It should be exactly the same thing for advice. Agreed. Right. You shouldn't. The client who walks in the door of any firm or any advisor 
shouldn't be subject to the gaps in knowledge that exists that we all have, right? right? They should know that regardless of any bank branch or any other firm that they walk into, that the right advice will be provided to them. And the only way you're going to do that, and if you think of how they've regulated the investment selections that they allow their advisors to put clients into, rightly so, the way you do that on the advice side is the same thing. You build the systems to support yeah. the advisors. Yeah, I think it goes back to, you know, people are going to shape against that because they like the freedom of making their own choices. But frankly, it goes back to the 80-20 rule, right? The mass market, who typically does seek out what we'll call the entry-level planning at those, le at those levels, their problems are more... They're not the $30 million in a corporation that needs to be extracted using a pipeline strategy. Like that stuff is not what they're dealing with on a daily basis, right? Nor should they be dealing with it. They should be taking it up to the next level, right? It is the, I'm a T4 employee. I want to put my kid through school. I want to pay down my mortgage and I want to retire before I'm 70. Like, please don't make me work the rest of my life. Like it's that kind of common mass market need that we can more effectively standardize around, I think. Yeah, and if you think about it, the information to suggest the right next action has always been siloed and independent from the actual assets that they're holding yes. in real time, the actual changes that they're undergoing in their life from one year to the next. And this this merger of Razor and Nest Wealth and the technology and platforms that we bring together and the vision of this living plan mm -hmm. is the inevitable evolution of this industry to say that that siloed information shouldn't impede the advisors from providing the right advice to that individual. Agreed. So before we wrap up, I have the same three questions I ask everybody now. And I'm not sure if you guys, I started asking this at some point midway through the entire thing. So I'm not sure if you both got asked them or not, but you're going to answer them today. So if you had one wish for something you can change in your business or the industry or whatever it is as a whole, what would it be? You're both going to answer, answer individually. So the one thing I would like to see is just aggregation of data. You would be uh, both. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, it's a tough riddle in Canada. Well, especially with the lack of, but, it's a will issue more than know, it is a tech issue. That said, this merger, this marriage is to do a partial aggregation of data because as a financial advisor, if I'm using RazorPlan and I'm using Nestwell for the platform for my investments, aside from the fees and that all that kind of stuff, if I have a widow with a half a million dollars in her account and I have some window into this mm -hmm. and I can see it and she gets a new boyfriend and then starts systematically withdrawing money yep. because his business is in trouble, I'm going to know, I'm going to get flags. And if that account can be linked to the plan so that if the account drops and the plan on spending becomes red flagged or yellow flagged or yeah. something, I'm going to be able to intervene yep. before all the money is gone. Yeah, I mean, the power of aggregation and proper sharing of that data as a means of prevention of elder abuse alone is a reason for passing open banking in this country. It is yeah. huge yeah. because I've seen it. It's happened. Yep. A spouse dies, leaves a bunch of money to the surviving spouse. I mean, it could be boredom, it could be depression, it could be children, it could be this, it could be that. Yep. The key is, I mean, it's your money. Give it away. Give it to your kids. Do what you want. Go yep. on all it. But don't risk your future minimum lifestyle goal yep. for anyone. And that's, you have to tie planning. You have to tie to cash flow. Yep. You have to tie tax. Absolutely. You have to tie decumulation. But even some of the more simple things, like you know, you always hear about these things on the news about like door-to-door -door salespeople for like water heaters or whatever sure. it is, right? And you know, the only thing you can do is capture that inside of ten days of purchase, right? Because that's that's the law in this country, right? So if you can see the first transaction happen 
and there the kids get notified that mom or dad just saw, just had this transaction happen like what's going on and capture that in time you can actually legally stop that contract before it becomes a something that has to be escalated right yeah. like there's there's so much potential there so randy your answer i would love to be in the position where the industry recognizes that baseline baseline acceptance that that financial advice and the right thing to do at the right time is not a differentiating factor within this industry right now. It is something that should be provided, <laughs> yep. whether you know it or not. Yep. So I would want that advisor intelligence solution to be out there in the marketplace being used and making sure that whoever is walking into whatever advisor's office is getting the advice that they need at that moment in time. You know, it's interesting. I've taken a lot of U.S. content and travel to conferences down there, and you see, like, there's a lot of discussion specifically about hammering on niche marketing because, essentially, they've reached a point where baseline financial planning is an acceptable and known thing, and it's not a differentiation point here. And I often think to myself, I should be, you know, more focusing on a niche. And I think to myself, unfortunately, good for easy for my business, but unfortunately for the, for the country, Base level financial planning has not hit the level of saturation it has in the U.S., and therefore the need for that from my practice is non-existent. Yeah, not right? even close. Not even close, right? So unfortunately, doing proper comprehensive financial planning is a differentiation point. And, it, and you think about what it can do for people and the lack of people getting that base level knowledge. It's just, it's, it's tragic that we're not benefiting from well, it more in this country. Unless you have data aggregation in a couple of years of historical transactions, mm -hmm. no one can build you a financial plan in five minutes. No, agreed. And you know, the, the aggregation piece opens up to so many other things. Like you said there too, you know, the five years of the data. Well, how about five years of the data on your portfolio if you were managing it yourself and how many times you logged in per day and what happened in the market at that time? We can actually start doing like real life risk tolerance profiling based For on sure. action, yeah. right? Like, yeah. wow, like yeah. that's that starts to get the better things. So the second question, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the companies to where they are today? And you can talk about it as a whole or individually, whatever you like. Well, mine was always resources. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have the the experience, the skill, or the ability to, to raise capital, look at capital and whatnot. So we needed to grow. Mm -hmm. And that was also part of the merger. I mm -hmm. wanted somebody to take this vision that I started with and help me grow it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, financial planning stuff has always been a tough sell to yeah. VC players. Well, it just is. Just because of the, you know, it's a, it's a long sales cycle and it's, I mean, I don't even... I know maybe one case where I was one or two cases where I saw VCs invest in financial planning software. They get involved in private equity later when it's mature, but sure. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Yourself? I think anytime this is not my first business that I built. I think we've been blessed by having seen a little before others where the industry was going and being able to have good relations with a lot of the large financial institutions in Canada and making the pivot to the enterprise and the advisor solutions from the B2C. Those were all good choices that have panned out well for us. But I mean, it is still the Canadian marketplace. It is still Canadian financial institutions. And it is still a tough slog to get them to a signature on a contract. There are some of the larger ones that we've been in discussions with for two to three years now. And you just want to shake them and say, guys, like, I mean, do you imagine? Yeah, do you imagine where you could be right now as opposed to still 
thinking about this? In, in my own experience with my limited fledgling fintechs, I, I have shared that experience. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's like, really? I'm sitting here 24 months later having the same conversation I had 24 months ago. Yeah. This it's, is incredible. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not always as short and fluid. That being said, I mean, since we've done the merger just a few months ago, we've signed multiple enterprise deals on the Razor side already. Mm -hmm. So that, that yeah. vision is coming out. And we've seen good cross-sell of the plus into the Razor advisors and vice versa. So we believe there's a lot of appetite for this and the holistic vision will bear itself out. But sometimes as we're advancing as a company, keeping larger institutions focused on, no, 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 don't try and boil the ocean. Let's just pick one vertical to go into. Eat the that, elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's always a bit of a challenge for yeah. us. There's one previous guest of the show, Aladaco, who's managed to sell into one of the big five, or two of the big five in the first year of operations. And I was just like, my first reaction was, how? How yeah. did you do this? Like, what, what do you have that you managed to crack this code? And they're like, yeah, it wasn't easy. So last question is, what excites you the most about what it is you're working on? And what gets you out of bed in the morning to keep going, doing what you're doing? Oh, this is an easy one for me. I mean, it, it really is. Getting out of bed in the morning, it, it's got to be something that excites you at this stage in your life. And the thought of being able to build a platform that delivers on that promise of getting the perfect bit of information in front of as many people as possible so that they can end up in their best possible financial situation. And finance really is a means to the end, whether they want to leave Thank a legacy exactly right. or whether they want a vacation or whatever they want to do. The fact that what we're doing can have such a meaningful material difference when we execute well on it, when we mm -hmm. see distribution of the solution. It's really the most exciting thing I've ever worked on in my career. We just ran 10,000 decumulation plans yesterday, actually, to kind of get some data out of it. And the average difference in wealth in kind of estate value from doing it in the best possible way to the worst possible way is like 30%, right? Jesus, and so we're talking yeah. hundreds and hundreds of thousands oh, of dollars for individuals. And to think that you would be the company that could bring that type of flexibility and freedom to kind of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Canadians, it's enough to get you out of bed every day. Fantastic. David. Well, did you he steal know, your answer? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because so the merger took place and it was a merger and I am now a shareholder of Nestwell. Mm -hmm. So because I didn't want any cash, I just wanted shares in a fintech. And so what gets me out of bed and what excites me is being part of a larger fintech with unlimited upside potential for growth and valuation. And, and that's why I'm here. I'm here not only to deliver financial planning to advisors and Canadians through advisors, because I'm 100% support the advisor channel. It's just being part of a well-run fintech and um, as opposed to one that had a, a CEO before that was a financial advisor, but didn't know anything about fintechs. So that's what excites and, and me. And I will say, as Dave is kind of being, being modest here, what he and his team did from, uh, Al, uh, from Alberta to grow Razor into a seven-figure revenue company with a presence in one of the large banks in yeah, Canada. With eight people. That's commendable. It was yeah. remarkable. Yeah. And, and so, nobody told me I couldn't do it. Fortune favors the bold, my friend. To be able to give them the support and resources to grow it further is, um, is a lot of fun as well. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you for the second time for coming thank in. Thank you. Very much appreciated. I wish you nothing but luck in this merger, and I think everything you're working on is stuff I love. So keep doing it. Thank you, man. Thank you.
So that was my interview with Randy Cass and David Faulkner of uh, Razor Plan and Nest Wealth Combined. And I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you got some insight into what flow through and fully integrated uh, planning and implementation can look like as part of our conversation. With that, as always, I am Jason Pereira. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.